בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים, we're back here on our Jewish intimacy series, Tuesday night, as we get closer and closer to uh, the completion of this extraordinary series, it seems like the Yetzirah hates what we're doing uh, with all of the amazing tikkunim and the uh, uh, wonderful technology failures. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. It's a, uh, always a good sign when the Yetzirah stops what he's doing and takes notice of you and what you're doing, Baruch Hashem, when you're teaching Torah, when you're learning Torah, when you're doing Maasim Torim, Shtabach Shimolad. So tonight's you is going to be for the Refuah uh, Shlema for Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, אבי מורי דוד בן נסריה, אמי מורתי דוריס בת ז'ורה, and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides that continue to watch and learn from the Shurim. Before we start, let me just confirm, even though we're very late, uh, that uh, the sound is good. If somebody can send me some messages to let me know that the sound is good. Okay, somebody send me messages. Everybody sleeping? Everybody gave up? Good on Facebook. Thank you, Rosalie. You're doing a better job than my paid employees. Okay, we'll continue. This thing is going insane. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, <laughs> we'll try this again. B'shem Hashem na'asev v'natzliach. So, Rabotai Karim, we are continuing the Geret HaKodesh by the uh, Holy Ramban Nachmanides, which uh, wrote one of the most important letters that is in the possession of Am Yisrael today. Unfortunately, not enough people know about this letter, uh, this Igeret HaKodesh. Uh, but needless to say, this is something that uh, anyone that has read it and understood it, anyone that has watched the series uh, over the past year or so with us for uh, 40 lectures or so, uh, if they have not transformed their life, uh, this uh, perhaps they should check their hearing and uh, brainwaves, because uh, this uh, has certainly woken up the dead. Now, uh, many people have come to me where uh, the avid listeners that have really applied this to their life, whether single, married, young or old, Jew or Gentile, uh, have uh, told me that this has done wonders for their marriage, wonders for their life, their servitude of Hashem, and simply they found out things they never even knew were possible to achieve with uh, Kedusha, you know, which is uh, when it comes to intimacy. Now, in last week's lecture, we found out the true secret behind why HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose Avraham Avinu to be our forefather, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose Yitzchak Avinu to be our forefather, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose Yaakov Avinu to be our forefather. As the Zohar HaKadosh says that the reason why Akadosh uh, Baruch Hu sent Yosef, Yosef, one of the twelve tribes, to Egypt uh, 
in the way that he did before the rest of the family was because Akadosh Baruch Hu had to have someone pass the morality test in order for Am Yisrael to survive Egypt. Had Yosef failed the morality test with Eshet Potiphar in Egypt, Am Yisrael would have never been allowed to leave Egypt. So uh, we see that the issues of morality are not only something that are pertinent to our society today, but needless to say, it is one of the foundations or the foundation of the Torah Kedoshah. Now last week, the Ramban taught us the secret of Avraham Avinu when he united with his wife. For many decades, they were together without the ability of actually producing a child of flesh and blood into this world. But the Zohar Kadosh uh, elaborates on that and shows that even though they were not able to bring children to the world for all of those years, they did create all of the neshamot, all of the souls of the converts that will come into the world in the future this is one of the reasons why when someone uh, completes a conversion a jew orthodox jewish conversion they're called the son of avram and sarah uh they uh, they're called the daughter of avram and sarah not because we want to make them feel good and be politically correct and pretty much make everybody a winner even the guy in 50th place chas shalom the Torah Kedoshah is not politically correct. The Torah Kedoshah does not take your current modern day uh, uh, feelings into account. The Torah Kedoshah tells you what a Kadosh Bahu's will is, what a Kadosh Bahu's emet, what a signature of emet looks like. And the Torah Kedoshah tells us that the sparks of Avraham Avinu were created throughout all of those years, all of those years that he was together with his wife because even though they were not able to bring children to the world, they were still uniting with Kedusha, with holiness. Now, and this created the Neshamot that would ultimately enter the people that are actually converting to Judaism. Now, furthermore, the Ramban told us last week that something changed with Avraham Avinu after HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Sefer Bereshit, chapter 25, verse 19 tells Avraham Avinu the ultimate promise. Tells Avraham Avinu the ultimate promise, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to your son. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. Once HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Avraham that he's about to have a son, and this is the son he's been waiting for for a hundred years. This is the son that is going to be the forefather for Am Yisrael, despite Avraham Avinu's extraordinary level of wisdom and holiness and achieving Kedusha at the highest possible level, he elevated himself even more. As the Ramban says, where Avraham focused his intentions at the time of union with Sarah, with the highest wisdom and all of his good traits while adhering thoughts to the upper heavenly worlds he also intended to sire a son who would be worthy of what god said of him in so many words avraham avinu took everything that he has gone through everything that he has learned everything that he knows to be good to knows that that is the will of hashem put all of this into his mind at the time of intimacy with his tzedeket wife sarah 
and because he wanted to create a tzaddik just like himself. So this was not only a one-time thing, this was a whole life's work culminating in this particular act. Because you can't expect to have a tzaddik just because you're thinking about a tzaddik, but you act like a rasha your whole day and your whole life. If you're a womanizer, if you're an adulterer, if you're a thief, if you're a liar, if you're violating all you know different uh, major parts of the Torah, you're wasting seed, violating Shabbat, and then say, no, no, but I want Moshe Rabbeinu to be my son. Tzaddik has a much easier time achieving those high-level thoughts than someone who does not live it. Why? Because someone as a tzaddik is used to these thoughts, is used to clean thoughts, is used to only thinking about his wife, is used to doing good and only thinking good, running away from evil, both evil in thought and evil in action, evil in vision. Whereas a wicked person may want to have Moshe Rabbeinu as his son, but to arrive at the appropriate thoughts of holiness is nearly impossible for such a person since all day his eyes are looking at everything except his wife. So we see here that to achieve holiness, one of the main things that we learn from Avraham Avinu is that you have to think about it, but also you have to put yourself in a position to succeed. You know, like they say, in, uh, for example, in the world of, uh, of money and, and capitalism and so on, everyone wants to say that such and such is a uh, lucky person. And although it's nice to say that uh, someone else succeeded because they're lucky, because that eliminates your own responsibility for your failure uh, because you didn't get lucky. But the reality is that people that tend to be successful over a long period of time, not the one-time successes, not the new money type of people, but rather people that are successful over a long period of time tend to put themselves in positions to be successful. And the same concept is with Kedusha. When a person wants to achieve the highest level of Kedusha, they put themselves in such a position to be able to become used to holiness. The question is, what happens if you marry a prostitute? Whether it's the male prostitute or the female prostitute. Now, of course... This does not necessarily only mean someone that is doing this professionally where they charge money to, uh, to, uh, to do all types of uh, filthy things with people. I'm talking about people that are promiscuous. What happens if somebody was promiscuous throughout their life like many people are and before they do tshuva? He was, uh, before doing tshuva, he was uh, arrogant even and proud of his achievements, of all of the different women that he was with. Before Tshuva, she was proud of all of the different men she was able to entertain. But now that she did Tshuva and she realized it's wrong, obviously she wants to change her life. And she wants to get married and settle down. He wants to get married and settle down. Can anything holy come from such a person? Needless to say, again, whether prostitute for money or prostitute for free doesn't really make much of a difference. Question is, can anything good come from a Baal Tshuva that 
made every crime under the sun this so-called low generation that we live in that everybody likes to talk about how you know everyone is in such a low generation so Hashem is just simply going to change the Torah for them and in so many words accept their loserness this is complete falsehood everyone is expected to follow the Torah just like Moshe Rabbeinu did just like David Melech did and do the best you possibly can you're forbidden from doing certain things you're allowed to do other things it's recommended to do certain things it's forbidden and to to, to uh, do other things some things are allowed and recommended some things are allowed and not recommended some things are forbidden and that's the end of the conversation but the key is once you actually get out of this low generation excuse and you really want to make something out of yourself in the holy world in the spiritual world in the eternal world can you fix yourself can you do better than your past not just not make the same mistakes but now that i've made these mistakes and i said i'm sorry and i cried and i did chuva and i did a tikkun or two or a thousand i still got this under my belt can anything good come from me do you know how many times I had to get people out of the gutter psychologically because they thought yes I did tshuva and I'm not violating Shabbat anymore and I'm not immoral anymore and I'm not this and I'm not that anymore but still how could God still accept me after everything I've done the problem is is that you're taking your little human head and you're putting it on God and you're thinking that he thinks like you so we have to find out worst case scenario you were a prostitute can you bring something holy into the world can you become holy can you become holy and bring and bring holiness into the world no less than Avraham Avinu can you or not you can say yes but what's your proof you can say no but what's your proof Tonight we're going to find out. The Holy Ramban is getting close to closing this letter and we're touching on some major issues. And Be'ezat Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu will put the right words in our minds, in our mouths, to be able to convey to each and every single one of you that is watching it today to know exactly where you stand whether your failure in the past is a permanent failure and a stain for eternity like many people want to say like to say but only do it silently by simply calling you a low generation as if you are permanently spiritually retarded or other people that say listen every jew is so holy you're the best no matter how you are wait what if he's a violator of shabbat no matter how you are what if he wastes seed every day no matter how you are what if she's a prostitute no matter how you are what if she wants to go with a married guy no matter how you are no what do you mean you're telling me that this prostitute is going to be in the same gun eden as moshe rabbeinu cannot be but the question is what if you used to be what if you used to be bad used to be horrible used to be a disgrace do you have to live in this 
state of mind that I messed up, now I'm going to pay the bill. Even though I've changed my ways. Is there no forgiveness? Is forgiveness limited like it is in the world of humans where the guy did something bad to you and then he says, I'm sorry, and you say, ah, no problem, man. But you're never going to do business with him again. But you hate him really deeply in your heart. But you're never going to invite him into a family event. Every time he doesn't show up, you're happy. You said, no, no, no problem. Between us, we're friends. Oh, how come you didn't invite me? Oh, I, I didn't invite you. I thought I did. Uh, text message doesn't work sometimes. All right, so so happened. Text message to you and, and a phone call to you and the next door neighbor to you. It always doesn't work. Why? Because you still hate them in your heart. So forgiveness in this world as many times is limited. He did something to you, but you stayed married. 15 years later, you get into a fight and you remind him of it. Wait, I thought you forgave me. I thought that, yeah, I know I screwed up back then. And then I said, I'm sorry. And then I did whatever I could to make it up for you. And then you said, okay, I, for I, 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 uh, I forgive you. So why are you reminding me of this 15 years later, which many women tend to do as if this is like some brownie point they keep bringing up. Did you forgive or you didn't forgive? The Baal Shem Tov says, the way you forgive is how they forgive you in Shemaim. If you're one of these fake forgivers, where you say, I forgive, but in reality, you don't forgive, in Shemaim, you're going to be surprised at the account they show you. Why? Well, I thought you forgive. We forgive, but, you know, temporarily. 15 years we forgive. Until we have a reason to remind you. So now, Rabotai Yekarim, Mr. and Mrs. Low Generation, are you really a low generation that is incapable of bringing holiness into the world because of all of the mistakes all of us have made, some worse than others? Is it impossible for you to create Kedusha? You could say, yeah, I could create probably something good, but you know, it's more like a little candle. It's not a fire of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. You have any proof of that statement? I just feel it. But we don't learn to often feelings. It may just be, perhaps you need to take Gasex or something else, that feeling you have. We need proofs, Torah proofs. Once we have proofs, we know what the truth is. Good or bad, we're going to live with it. Says the Ramban, says the Ramban, after Avraham Avinu found out about this precious prize he's going to get, he's going to get Yitzchak. He made sure not only to sanctify his actions throughout the day, but to sanctify his actions throughout the night when he unites with his wife Sarah. As the Midrash Rabbah says that Sarah was the most beautiful woman in history. So much so that the most beautiful woman of today looks like a monkey with hair on its face next to Sarah Imenu. Sarah Imenu, at her old age, was more beautiful than anything you could imagine. And if that wasn't enough, Akadosh Baruch Hu miraculously made Sarah younger again. 
younger again and for all of those naysayers and disbelievers Akadosh Baruch Hu miraculously allowed Sarah to have strength beyond human nature that she was able to breastfeed the entire community's kids why would the entire community have kids all of a sudden when Akadosh Baruch Hu brought salvation to the tzaddikim everyone else also gets their salvation all of the women that were barren and not able to have kids their their um their fortune opened up as well and everyone had kids at the same time and now everybody has to feed the kids she's tired she doesn't feel good it's not working it is that sarai menu for the rescue sarai menu for the rescue at 90 years old sarai menu for the rescue so now Avraham Avinu brought this extraordinary thing into the world, miracle after miracle, sanctified his mind, and Yitzchak turned out to be the perfect human being. As the Ramban here says, you already know that the Ola, the Korban Ola, the Ola offering, is the holiest of holy offerings, Kodesh Kodeshim. And it needs to be given for sinful thoughts of the heart and conscious sins. As the Midrash Rabbah in chapter 7, section number 3 says, Korban Ola. Why do we bring Korban Ola? Yet filthy thoughts, things you saw on the internet, the girl that works next to you in the office, the girl that sends you a text message and says, listen, maybe this maybe that the guy that paid attention to you for the first time in your life all of a sudden you don't really care about whether it's adultery or not all those garbage thoughts you got to bring korban ola got to bring korban ola get ready better mikdash is coming along with the mashiach bring korban ola start saving money for korban and many other korbanot and Korban Ola is the Holy of Holies. And it needs to be given for sinful thoughts of the heart and conscious sins. And therefore, the Korban Ola needs to be skinned, needs to be cut up, needs to be completely burned by the fire. Because as you would learn from the Mishnah, and as well as in the Gemara, when it talks about Korban, Korban Pesach, in the Masechet uh, Psachim, or even if you look at Masechet Shkalim in the Mishnah, talks about Korbanot. Some of the Korbanot are eaten by the people, like Korban Pesach. Some of the Korbanot are partially eaten by the people, partially eaten by Kohanim. Some Korbanot are eaten only by Kohanim. Some korbanot are partially burned, partially eaten by the people or the kwanim. But the korban ola, completely burned. Why completely burned? This korban is 100% Kabbalah Hashem. What's Kabbalah Hashem? Why Hashem needs your korban? No. When a person makes a sacrifice, takes from himself the gifts that Hashem gave him, the money Hashem gave him, the strength Hashem gave him, the skills Hashem gave him. And he says, 
this is for the sake of Hashem. That shows Hashem that you believe in Him, that you are serving Him. That's why the korbanot, all of the korbanot are called avodah. What's avodah? Servitude. It also means work. But what's work? Serving Hashem through the korbanot. The korban olah completely burned. Why? No one is allowed to eat it. No one is allowed to eat it. This all goes for Hashem. And the Gemara in Masechet Yoma says at the time of the first Beta Mikdash, there was a lion, a lion, the fire and the image of a lion that would come down from heaven and consume the Korban. Imagine seeing such a thing. Imagine seeing such a thing. A fire in the image of a lion comes from Shemaim and consumes the Korban, burns the Korban. I don't know how this is not compared to Mount Sinai. Apparently Mount Sinai was even much greater. Much, much greater. But this was every day. Unfortunately, at the time of the second Bet HaMikdash, because of our many sins, the fire was in the image of a dog. Symbolizing the sins, symbolizing the Satan. But the Korban Olah Rabotai Karim needs to be prepared in a certain way in order for it to be perfect. If there's any type of imperfection in it, a mum, not allowed to bring it. Something impure touches it, not allowed to bring it. It has to be burned. Cannot be consumed, cannot be done anything with it. Can't benefit from it. And so says the Ramban, Yitzchak was called the perfect Olah offering. As the Midrash Rabbah in section 64, 3 says, Yitzchak was the perfect sacrifice. In so many words, Yitzchak perfected himself. Perfected himself. Can you imagine? Perfect thoughts for an entire day, every day. Only pure thoughts, only cleaving to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, only purity, only good, never bad. Imagine such a mindset. All this, says the Ramban, Avraham Avinu, Allah Shalom, brought to the world and caused this by focusing his intentions for the sake of heaven at the time of union with Sarah. And this way was practiced by all of the tzaddikim, all of the pious men of good heart throughout Am Yisrael's history, since their intentions were adhered to the upper heavenly worlds during union, so that they should give birth to sons worthy of holiness, purity, and diligence. See here, Rabotai, we're learning something about these tzaddikim. How our forefathers thought during intimacy. How the tzaddikim we know of and the tzaddikim we don't know of thought during their lives when they were intimate. But not even just then. 
someone came to the stifle of Gaon and asked him, how did you bring such a holy tzaddik into the world of Kanievsky? The stipler had a very big keeper. And he says, you see my keeper? Every day, I fill her with tears, crying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When he answered this, you would think, yeah, okay, so when Rav Kanievsky was little, his father, the stipler, was, uh, you know, cried about him. He says, no. I still cry about him right now, every day. That he becomes a tzaddik. That he becomes Eved Hashem. The listener was confused. At this time, the stipler was in his 90s. Rav Kanievsky, his son, was in his 60s. He was already Gdoladol. He was already a giant. They're both giants. What are you still crying about him every day for? Every day I cry about my son. That he serves Hashem. That he stays glued to Hashem. People look at the Abu Chatzir family. The Babasali, Rabbi David Abu Chatzira, all of the great Sadiqim. One after another with Ruach HaKodesh. One after another with Kedushah that's completely out of this world seems like it belongs to different generations what's the secret the Abuchatzira secret was the father would cry every single day into a cup filling up the cup with his tears and then drinking it how his body allowed him to cry that much, to fill up a cup, I have no idea. But when you want to serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu, and you want your children to serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu, a Kadosh Baruch Hu helps you. As the Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan says, Someone that comes to become purified, a Kadosh Baruch Hu helps him. Every day he would cry, fill up a cup with tears. People cry about refrigerators, watches, rings, and cars. Why didn't you get me the bigger house? Why didn't you buy me flowers? They cry about all types of nonsense. Did you cry about your kids? I'm not telling you to cry about the Shekhinah is not with us anymore to the way, same way that it was in the past. I'm not telling you to cry about the Bet HaMikdash being destroyed, although you're supposed to. Question is, did you cry about your kids today? Today, did you cry about your kids did you cry about your kids being tzaddikim? Did you cry about your husband to be a tzaddik? Did you cry about your wife to be tzaddikah? Did you cry about a Jew? Any Jew? Ever? That they be tzaddikim or they do tshuva? Oh, Rabbi, can you help him? Can you help him? Oh, what can I do? Cry. Cry that HaKadosh Baruch Hu opens up his mind. Cry that HaKadosh Baruch Hu opens up his mind in such a way that he accepts his mistakes, and he fixes them. And he does tshuva. It's important to cry. The tzaddikim cried about their kids in such a fashion that it literally shook up the heavens. 
But now a person he sees this, says to themselves, listen, it's great that we had tzaddikim like that, it's fantastic that we're part of such a people, that such a people existed, that such people even exist now. But I'm not one of those people. So how can I ever achieve Kedusha? In fact, not only am I not one of these people, there are some people that say, listen, until not too long ago, I was that prostitute that you're talking about, male or female. Can you answer the question of whether I could actually achieve anything good? Well, first and foremost, you should always know, anytime you hear, Stories of the tzaddikim. Know this. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is directing that story for you to hear it because you have something to learn from that story and you can apply part of that story to your life in your capacity. You may not be able to do all of it or even half of it, but something you could definitely do. Something you could definitely do. Maybe you can't cry about your kids to fill up a cup every single day, but you can cry about them once in a while. Maybe you can't fill a cup, but you could at least do something. Instead of crying about the refrigerators and the stock portfolios, cry about your kids, cry about your husbands, cry about your wives. Cry to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that sometimes you don't feel Him. That you can do. Everyone can do. I can do. You can do. We could all do. So again, when you hear stories of tzaddikim, no one is expecting you to be Avraham Avinu. But no one is expecting you to be one of these people that if you can't get first place, you don't want to play. If I can't be perfect, I don't want to do it. A person has to use all of their abilities, tools that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them whether it's skills, possessions, and any other type of ability, use all of it to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Crying for somebody to do tshuva, even if that somebody is yourself, is part of serving Hashem. So now if a person looks at the world at large, they don't exactly see too many tzaddikim, let's just say that. They see morality by leadership and the common folk alike. In fact, the leadership is worse than the common folk because at least they get exposed at some point or another. The average person out there is not exposed until they're caught by the people they hurt, but it usually doesn't hit the news. The filth that's in your mind is only between you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it will be shown to you at some point. Imagine the shame. Imagine the embarrassment. All of the things of the past are haunting people. Some even the current, the present. Well, let's see. Let's see. When a person... is living a life of immorality, whether male or female, what do they have to expect? People will never respect them. Marriage 
tends to be a temporary agreement. Kids end up being a regret, if not early on, then later on. And life becomes tragic. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that the world has to achieve holiness in order for it to continue having the right to exist. And therefore, when a person does the exact opposite, they become antithetical to the existence of the world. And therefore, the Torah in many places, including in this week's parasha, parashat Shoftim, right after Matan Torah, after we learn about the thief that became a slave, we then learn about different types of people that make other types of sins, one of them being a rapist, a promiscuous person, male or female, prostitutes, witchcraft, all types of things. All types of things that are forbidden. And Torah wants to tell us that these laws of sanctity are close to the heart of Hashem, if you will. And therefore, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu punished the Egyptians who are the most unholy of people. The Gemara says that 10 levels of witchcraft came to the world. Nine was given to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were full of witchcraft, but also full of immorality. LGBTQ was standard practice over there. In fact, the behavior of the Egyptians was one of the places we learn about immorality of LGBTQ, whether male and male, female and female, all forbidden, all considered disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Now when a person thinks of forbidden things, the Torah of the Magid says, even the thoughts of sin, you are watching something and it causes you to think inappropriate things. You're a married woman, you're thinking about a different man. You're a single woman, you're thinking about somebody else that you're not allowed to be with. You're a man thinking about a woman. Whether it's on the screen or in real life, it's the same thing. These thoughts create a klipa. The thoughts of sin are worse than the sin, says the Gemara in Masechet Yoma. Why? Because the sin is something that is temporary. It's an act that lasts only a certain amount of time, whereas the thought could come back whenever you want, however you want, for as long as you want. Sometimes even beyond your control, at least it would seem. Once you allow the satan into your head, it's much more difficult to let him out or kick him out. And therefore the old Torah of the Magid says the thoughts of sin create a klipa. Klipa souls. These souls then search for a body in order to enter into it. And therefore, once forbidden thoughts takes these uh, people into forbidden places. What forbidden places? At night, all of a sudden, Instead of going to sleep, you want to do bad things. At night, you went to sleep. 
But instead of having a dream about tzaddikim, about good things, you think about, you dream about filthy things. You dream about cheating on your wife or husband. You dream about all types of sins, all types of immorality. That all starts with the thoughts of the day. And that's why the Gemara in Maseret Abu Dazarah says, one must be careful with his eyes during the day, lest he have evil thoughts at night. These forbidden thoughts that create the Klippah souls come back to the person at night looking for a body. So how could his dream at night, his sins at night create a body? Simple. Once those thoughts lead to sin, be uh, uh, seed being wasted, now you have a bigger problem than you could even imagine. Because these klipa can use this as their bodies for the souls. In Egypt, the Midrash Rabbah in Shmot, section 15, Perik 15, section 27, which I first learned from my dear friend, Rav Adam Summers. The Midrash says, the frog plague, one of the things that it did in punishing the Egyptians was that the frogs were given the ability to emasculate the Egyptians because of their homosexuality and their promiscuous behavior of the women. So the frogs, in essence, remove their ability to continue this disgusting behavior. The plague with the cattle was put on them as a measure for measure for their group relations. Hashem sent all types of animals at one time, just like they were committing animalistic acts altogether with different types and different things. And the Me'am Loez in Parashat Shmot, chapter 8, section number 2, verse number 2, says that the frogs entered the inside of the Egyptians in order to emasculate them. So we see from here, Rabotai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not happy about those that live unholy lives. Let's just say that. What else does it say? The Gemara in Masechet Sota says that when a woman, even if she chooses not to be promiscuous, but she looks like she is, because she walks around with no arms and no legs. She forgot to cover her body. The last time she covered her body was she was wearing a robe after the daily bath. But outside... It's almost the same outfit. 
these types of women, even if they don't act on it, they have to know. The Gemara says in Masechet Sota, page 47b, she's bringing death to the world. As the Gemara says that when Akadosh Bahu saw that there was an increased number of women walking with necks stretched forth and with winking eyes in a promiscuous manner and the use of the bitter waters of the sota, meaning women, became suspected of adultery. Not just because the husband is a jealous husband, but because the woman on multiple occasions was with a forbidden man in a private place. She violated the mitzvah of Yichud. You're not allowed to be with a, another man or multiple men privately in a room, in an office by yourself. If you and your boss are working together in the office, you have a very serious problem. Why? If there's nobody else in the office, you have a problem of Yichud. And a person needs to know about this. And therefore the Gemara says that when the women put themselves in a situation where they were walking around like they're promiscuous, some were, but of course not everyone was promiscuous, some just looked promiscuous. Many women do that where they look like they're for sale. They look, but they don't do anything, no customers. Even that behavior brings death to the world. Why? Kadosh Baruch Hu says after he saw this at the time of the Bet Hamikdash, he changed. He changed the rules of the world. He saw this at the time of Noah. He changed the rules of the world. Each time he changed the rules of the world. How? He shortened the lifespan of people. He shortened the lifespan of people. So we see again another example. Immorality is not good. Prostitution is not good. Even if it's free. Even if it doesn't lead to an action. So how could such a person bring holiness to the world? Now when it comes to Yichud, One of the things that is detested by most women is body hair. Of course, body hair in a woman is not, not pretty. Do you know that Bnot Israel were known to not have body hair throughout almost all of history? The beauty of Bnot Israel was so extraordinary, literally their skin would shine. And the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says that in page number 21a, that Bnot Israel were renowned for their beauty among all of the nations. And they were renowned that the daughters of Israel 
did not have neither hair under arm or the other parts of their body. They were completely beautiful. She didn't have to go to the salon, do all these painful things, laser, wax, shemirachem. No, none of that. No, she was born like a, and stayed like a baby, beautiful. Beautiful skin all the time. Doesn't need to put cream on it if she doesn't feel like it. Unless she wants to put what the Gemara in Masechet Megillah says. She wants to take an olive that's a third of its size of growth. And in essence to make her skin shine as if she's literally like the sun. So if she, her father was a Talmud Chacham, he would give her these things. But in so many words, she was beautiful. She didn't have to worry about body hair. She didn't have to worry about his. Is he looking at my mustache? Is my mustache bigger than his? Hey, how you doing? And that's the girl? Oh, what happened? This person doesn't want his wife to have a mustache. Doesn't want to have to have a beard. In today's world, this is one of the things that is a known thing. Unacceptable. Guess what? It's nothing new. So how come the salons are making millions? Says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. This was a punishment. Where even though the Jewish women were renowned in ancient times for the fact that they did not grow any bodily hair. The Chachamim teach us that the lack of body hair persisted among the Jewish women up until the destruction of the first Bet HaMikdash. Why? Because the women at that time were punished for their immodest behavior. As the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 3, verse 16 to 26. Look over there for more details. Akadosh Baruch Hu made his daughters, his princesses, beautiful, more than beautiful. Without anything. She walks around, lights up the street no one has to look at shiduch resumes ever again why they know she's beautiful it's not like today where like you double click on the shiduch resume the guy is scared what's gonna be on this one no everyone's beautiful what happened how come today some people have beards? How come today people have to spend half the salary in a salon? Punishment. Why? Akadosh Baruch Hu created you beautiful in order for you to use that beauty for your husband. You decided to use it to get the attention of Jose from the supermarket. You decided to use it to get the attention of Steve from the uh, bakery. You decided to use it for all types of other things except your husband. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Oh, you're not using my gift the way I give it? Suffer now. Go spend half your salary in a salon. You're going to say, Well, I didn't do it. What do you think? You're not connected? We're not connected? All of us are connected. We're all reincarnations. Anyone that's here today, that means that Obviously, they're connected to the past. That's why we all have to do tshuva. But here we see Rabotai 
the girl that's walking around immodest to try to get attention what does she bring to herself so far we know she's bringing herself shorter life problems and ugliness what else does the Torah say gives us some more insights beautiful insights diamonds such beautiful diamonds you're never going to believe it and it's free page 81b brings a Mishnah and the Mishnah says for all of you young men and women that are Jews that want to be with non-Jews why? you like her Italian skin she's pretty you like his uh, Puerto Rican accent and he's really nice to you he bought you a Rolex watch yeah but he's not Jewish yeah but you know okay the Mishnah says one who cohabits with a non-Jew a zealot may kill him what does that mean? Rav Kahana came to Rav he says I want to know what does it mean? because we know that in the Torah we had Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKohen Esau Zimri the Jew from the Shimon tribe over 400 years old sinning with a non-Jew and he killed him because he was a true zealot but today we don't do that no one is that zealous so what happens what happens if no one kills him he's sinning with the Goya he she's sinning with the Goy what happens to them says the Gemara on page 82a second Sanhedrin Yehuda had dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel in Yerushalayim for Yehuda has profaned the holiness of God and that he has loved and married the daughter of an alien God this is a verse by the prophet Malachi chapter 2 verse 11 so from there we learn says Rav Yehuda has dealt treacherously is referring to idolatry As a wife treacherously leaves a husband, so you have acted treacherously with me, house of Israel, says Hashem. And an abomination has been committed in Israel. This is referring to sodomy, LGBTQ, in today's language. And so it says, you shall lie with the male as one lies with, a, you shall not lie with the male as one lies with a woman. It is an abomination. For Yehuda profaned the holiness of God. This is referring to a zona, a harlot, even one who's Jewish. And therefore it says, There shall not be a promiscuous woman among the daughters of Israel, and there shall not be a promiscuous man among the sons of Israel. And the married daughter of the alien God is referring to one who cohabits with a non Jewish woman. 
And immediately after this, which I'll explain all of this in a moment, the Torah says, may God cut off the man that does this, one that initiates, one that, an- that answers from the tents of Yaakov, and him that offers mincha offering to the Lord of hosts. This verse means that if one cohabits with an idolatrous, is a Talmudic scholar, he will not have a son who will be a chacham and learn among the sages or is qualified to even answer questions. If he's a kohen, he will not be privileged to have a son who brings a korban, mincha to Hashem. And even if he's, if he's not Talmud Chacham, and he's not a Kohen, the punishment is severe. What is it? Anyone who cohabits with a Kuthian woman, says Rabbi Chia Baravuya, with a non-Jew, is regarded as having contracted marriage to an idol. And that's why it says you married an alien god. One who, a Jew that cohabits with a non-Jew becomes attached to their God. Hence the reason why all of those people, without exception, that you see making these idol worship videos for what they call themselves, uh, the Christians call themselves today, uh, Messianic Jews. And you see all of these Jews that say, oh, I found Jesus, I found Yoshke, what they tell you many times in the story is before they found Yoshke, they found a non-Jewish girl. She found a non-Jewish guy and he helped her find Yoshke. And that's what the Torah promises. It's considered an abomination. It's considered forbidden. And it brings a person to idolatry. So here we see, Rabotai, that the immorality is not just defined by society where, at least until now, pedophilia was viewed as forbidden in the eyes of all of society, where apparently that was a lie, because when some of the research came in 1948, they said that uh, much of the research was based on the information brought by pedophiles. And apparently this is not a new thing, but today there's even people that like to call pedophilia preference. Either way, all of this stuff that says that it's forbidden in the Torah it's not just a person goes to Genom. It's not just a person gets punished in Kafakela, reincarnates the dog, or all types of other animals. But the Torah says a whole lot of bad things about this person. Rav Dimi says that one who cohabits with a, a Jew that cohabits with a non-Jew is liable to multiple sins. 
נידה, איסור נידה, which is כרת, איסור שפחה, as if he was with a Canaanite slave woman, איסור גויה, and איסור אשת איש. In so many words, one act, he has a very serious problem. Obviously, the opposite is not much better. Let's just say that, meaning a Jewish woman with a, with a non-Jewish man. So now, I just told you the bad news. Where's the good news? Where's the good news? All of this stuff, more or less, people knew is forbidden. At least if they're watching my shooting for a few years, or even a few hours, they know all of these things are forbidden. But we talked about what happens if I know I already made all these mistakes. And... Uh, I want to do tshuva. I'm doing tshuva. Can something holy come from me? Or is it a lost cause because I was that stretch-necked woman that was looking for presents. I was the guy giving the presents. What happens if a person acted like a prostitute for a fee or for free? What happens? Can they do anything good in their life? Can they do anything good in their life, Rabotai? Well, what if I told you there were tzaddikim of the highest level that that married prostitutes? Yeshua ben Nun No one can really be compared to Yeshua Benun after him. When Rav Ovadia, Allah Shalom, told one of his helpers that he wants to make a trip to go to the gravesite of Yeshua Benun, which is in a dangerous place and difficult to get to, and the Rav wasn't known to go to gravesites uh, often, or he was always very careful with his time. So he asked him, Kvod Rav, why, why, why uh, does the Rav want to go to the gravesite of Yeshua ben Nun? There's so many tzaddikim we can go to that are much easier to get to. Rav Vadya says, and this is in a recorded video, can you think of anyone that's greater than Yeshua ben Nun that you can go to his gravesite? Only one you could go is Moshe Rabbeinu, but you don't know where he's buried. HaKadosh Baruch wrote that in Torah. No one's going to find out where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried. Aside from Moshe Rabbeinu, that's it. You have Yeshua Benun. The one that took leadership after Moshe Rabbeinu, the one that brought Am Yisrael to Eretz Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch split the Jordan River for Yeshua Benun. So, Yeshua Benun won wars. Yeshua Benun spoke face to face with angels, spoke to Akadosh Baruch Hu. Chazak ve'ematz, Akadosh Baruch Hu says to him, Be strengthened. Don't worry about anybody else. Yeshua Benun, Akadosh Baruch Hu says to him, 
If not for my covenant, my Torah, my Brit, Kodesh, morality, if not for that, the world does not have a right to exist. Yeshua ben Nun married Rachav, who used to be a prostitute. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, chapter 1. Verse number two. We find out Hosea married a prostitute, a woman by the name of Gomer. Gomer, as in finished, where everyone finished their desire with her. She was a prostitute. Why would these tzaddikim, these prophets, Marry prostitutes. Didn't we just hear about all the horrible things that happen to people that are immodest, that are promiscuous, that are intermarried, that are forsaking the word of Hashem? Why would these tzaddikim, Yeshua ben Nun, Hosea, why would they marry people that were prostitutes, people that were literally, the books were written about them? Why? Furthermore, if you look at the Torah Ktusha, you see that these tzaddikim were not the only ones faced with a test of morality. Adam Arishon. We begin the Torah Sefer Bereshit, we meet Adam Arishon. Adam Arishon, after the sin of eating from the tree of knowledge, he was so upset and he wanted to do tshuva that he separated from Chava, his wife, for 127 years. This was not the will of Hashem. He did not ask Hashem before he did this. He did this on his own. And it was a mistake because for 127 years, seed left his body. And this created all types of mazikim, all types of demons. So we see that Adam Arishon had the issue of morality. Of course, he didn't do things that purposefully and against God, aside from that initial mistake. But nonetheless, we see already from the beginning of the Torah, Chava, his wife, If she would have never spoken to the serpent when the serpent approached her, if she would have never continued the conversation, not only would she have not have sinned by eating from the tree of knowledge and then feeding it to her husband, where the Midrash says that she nagged him and nagged him all night until he was convinced to eat. It wasn't just like, here, take it, and he took it. She cried the whole night until he agreed to eat. Why? She didn't want to die alone. She said, if I'm dying, you're dying with me. I don't want you to marry another woman. If she wouldn't have spoken to the serpent, not only would this not have happened, the serpent would have never raped her. As the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that the serpent 
put his zoma into Chava. This zoma affected the neshama of Cain. Cain was evil. This is all the beginning of good versus evil. Not that Cain was the son of the serpent, but the zoma, the spiritual impurity of the serpent, came from there. So we see that Chava, the first woman, had the test of morality. Sort of like women today where she's happy with her life, everything is good, but all of a sudden her husband's friend shows up at the house thinking that her husband is home, but he's not there. So he picks up and he starts talking to the wife. So what did you guys do this weekend? How's the kids? Wow, you look good. Are you losing weight? Yeah, I started a diet. Oh, wow, it looks good on you. And all of a sudden, they become friends. Send me a text message, a pic. And before you know it, adultery becomes their best friend. Had you not started the conversation, this would have never happened. Or women that go to male doctors. When there is plenty of female doctors as an option. When he's a doctor. He's a human. And if you have a choice, choose one that cannot be your potential partner. If the people would hear the awful things that come to our desk and many other people that deal with the public... Literally, your ears would fall. Your ears would fall. Women, all of a sudden, decide they fall in love with somebody else's husband. Men, all of a sudden, decide that morality is not important anymore. They openly cheat on their wives. The wives are scared to leave the husband. The husband is denying she's cheating on him. Literally, adultery has become almost second nature to people. There's even certain people that are discussing that literally idolatry of Egypt has come back where some part of our communities have decided to read and apply some of the so-called mysticism of the Egyptians and try to reach the dead. All types of crazy things. This is not new. Adam Rishon, Chava, they also had tests. They also failed tests. They also had to do tshuva. Noach. Noach ish tzadik tamim bedorotav. Noach. Righteous, complete person. But lived in a generation where immorality were at the ultimate peak. So much so that wasting seed was not only standard, but Homosexuality and LGBTQ became a mitzvah. They would write a ketubah for marriage between men and men, women and women. They made it a mitzvah like they do today. Oh, I'm so happy for him and him. The two monkeys are married. Aren't they cute? Yes, put them in a zoo because the flood is not available yet. If their fathers were just like them, they wouldn't be here. But apparently no one thinks about that. No, it's my deeper feelings. No, that's called lust. That's called yetzara. 
that's called don't follow it because you're not an animal and therefore you should restrain yourself before HaKadosh Baruch puts a leash on you. Just because you feel something doesn't mean you need to do it. Just because your mouth generates saliva does not mean you need to spit. Noach was tzaddik, surrounded by reshaim. Avraham Avinu, Brit Mila, barren wife, surrounded by wicked people. Sodom and Gomorrah with the term sodomy, the real name for LGBTQ. That's where it was really named. The flag was created the generation of Noach, the rainbow. Rainbow was a sign that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to destroy the world because of LGBTQ. The name for LGBTQ was created at the time of Noah, just 10 generations later, meaning people didn't learn. They came back to their sins of immorality. Avram, despite all of the tests, stayed holy. Yitzchak, also Brit Milah, also barren wife, stayed holy. Yaakov surpassed both his father and his grandfather as he protected his breed to such an extent that seed did not leave his body until it was for the sake of bringing Reuven to life when Yaakov was 87 years old. The first time seed left his body, he was a senior citizen. But he was managed. He also got blessed with 12 of the tribes and many other daughters. Yaakov was tested and he passed. Yehuda, his son, we are named Yehudim after Yehuda because even though Yehuda had two wicked sons, Erve Onan, that wasted seed and HaKadosh Baruch Hu killed him. Yehuda, after his wife died, he was allowed to be with Tamar. He was allowed to be with her, even though she pretended to be a prostitute. Why? He was a king. Kings have different rules. But either way, this is before Matan Torah, before the many of the rules that we discussed tonight also apply. But nonetheless, Yehuda was pushed on Tamar by a Kadosh Bahu himself. And once he realized this is what it is, instead of doing what a lot of guys do, where, oh, she's pregnant, oh man, are you gonna keep it? Or are you gonna commit murder? Yehuda says, no murder. Sadkami many, she's righteous. He raised those sons, he married her, and Mashiach comes from Yehuda. Mashiach comes from one of those sons, Peretz. Yehuda did tshuva in public. Everyone knew I made a mistake. I admit my mistakes. For that, we call ourselves after Yehuda, as a Jewish people. His brother Yosef. As we said earlier, Yosef not only passed the test with Eshet Potiphar, which the Gemara says is one of the four most beautiful women that ever lived. 
She beautified herself even more for Yosef. She would change clothes literally every hour just to try to see if he would ever look at her. Just to get him to look at her. Another outfit, another $5,000 dress, another $20,000 ring, another million dollar crown. Didn't make a difference. Yosef kept his eyes to the ground. Yosef protected his bleat to such an extent that HaKadosh Baruch Hu used that spiritual power that Yosef created to strengthen all of Am Yisrael that would come to Egypt for them not to fall to immorality with the Egyptians that were the most immoral people in history. Yosef passed the test. Benjamin, his brother, many people don't realize, but Benjamin, he sanctified the union with his wife each and every time because he wanted to, his kids to be tzaddikim like his brother Yosef. And that's why he named each one of the kids after his brother Yosef. And how do we know that he really sanctified himself even during then? Maybe he just called him after his brother? Because the Gemara says that Benjamin is one of the four people that never sinned even once. The only reason why he died was the sin of the Adam Arishon. Never sinned once in his life. Never inappropriate thoughts, inappropriate behavior. Never. Perfect person. Benjamin. Had all the tests in the world. Passed. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, the prophet of all prophets, was a king of Kush, married to the queen of Kush, who used to be married to the former king of Kush and had a son with him, with the original king. But when Moshe Rabbeinu became the king of Kush, they gave him the queen and the baby. And this queen was beautiful. And he was with her for 40 years, but he never touched her even once. After 40 years, when her baby son grew up, she wanted him to be king. And she told the people, look, the reason why I'm married to this man for 40 years, and there's not even a child, the only child that is heir to the original throne of my original husband, the king, is because this current king, this current husband, hasn't even touched my hand in 40 years. Meaning that Moshe Rabbeinu not only had the test of Yosef HaTzadik, but he had it for 40 years straight. Never touched a woman even once. And if that wasn't enough, after he left Kush, went to Midian, married Sipora HaTzadikah, took Am Yisrael out of Egypt, destroyed the Egyptians, all of, of course by the hand of God, brought down the Torah to Am Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu that still as young as a 20-year-old, even though he's over 80, as the Torah says in Sefer Devarim that when Moshe died at 120 years old, his eyes were bright and his face was clear like a young man even 120, needless to say, when he was 80 and 85 and 90. Moshe was a gibo. But yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe, leave your wife. Leave your wife. 
Moshe Rabbeinu got the test no one else ever got. 40 years with a woman he's not allowed to be with. Then finally when he gets married, has kids. He has to leave the wife, the love of his life. Has to leave her. Why? Hashem says, you're going to marry the Shekhinah. Moshe in essence was the husband of the Shekhinah. What do you think Moshe Rabbeinu became? Moshe Rabbeinu because of his good looks? Aaron Cohen, Aaron Cohen, Rodef Shalom, Oev Shalom, chases peace, loves peace. Aaron Cohen was the ultimate Shlombite counselor. Twenty-two thousand babies born due to Aaron Cohen's Shlombite counseling, meaning that Aaron Cohen would make sure that she did not leave her husband and he did not leave his wife time after time and never failed once. Like unfortunately some people today, they tell somebody, you know what, maybe you should divorce your husband. And as soon as she divorces him, he asks her, you want to go for a coffee? You want to go for a coffee? You want to go to Gainom together? The Gemara in Masechet Gitin says, for such an act, HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroyed the Bet HaMikdash. One convinced another to divorce his wife because he wanted to be with her. And he ended up succeeding in getting the girl, but destroying the Bet HaMikdash. Today there are plenty of people that are destroying the Bet HaMikdash with their so-called counseling. She tells him, why don't you leave her? She's not good for you. So he leaves her. Or sometimes he doesn't. But she decides, I'll be your new friend. I'm not pushy. You could do whatever you want. You could do whatever you want. I could do whatever I want. Together, Sodom and Gomorrah. Aruna Cohen brought Shlombait the tens of thousands of couples never failed once. How do we know? That's why he's still in the Torah is Aaron Cohen. That's why there's Mishnah written about him. That's why the Torah quotes him. That's why the Torah compares him to Moshe Rabbeinu on the same level. Never once looked at a woman inappropriately. Never once touched a woman inappropriately. Never once uttered a word to a woman inappropriately. Not once. You say, oh no, he was not tested. What not tested? He was tested more than the entire generation combined. Imagine a woman wants to leave her husband. She practically wants to throw herself at anybody that pays attention to her. Women sometimes go to different people, sometimes rabbis, sometimes psychiatrists, sometimes all types of so-called friends and neighbors and family practically throwing themselves at anybody that pays attention to them. You would say the same thing about guys, but obviously it's not the same thing. Women don't do the same thing as men. Men don't accept the same thing as women. But the point being is that plenty of people just throw themselves. I'm available. Why? I'm unhappy. Aruna Cohen tested time after another tens of thousands of times and succeeded in bringing Shlombait. Rabbi Akiva, 
Rabbi Meir Balanes. Several other sages had mentioned the Gemara that they were tested with immorality, beautiful women, Satan dressed up as a beautiful woman to get them to fail. David Melech, David Melech had a test with Bathsheba. Gemara Masechet Shabbat says, anyone says David Melech sinned is mistaken. What do you think? Kadosh Baruch brought the Mashiach from David Melech for no reason? David Melech was Kodesh Kodeshim. But still, he had the tests. He had the tests. One of his wives, Michal, was given to him by her father, Shaul. But then Shaul took her back and said, You're going to marry this tzaddik named Paltiel ben Laish. The Gemara says in Masechet Sanhedrin, page 19b. Paltiel ben Laish was Talmit Chacham Tzadik and he knew that he's not allowed to be with Michal because she really was married to David. But she was beautiful and she was his wife and technically no one would say anything because the king Shaul gave him to her. But he knew that HaKadosh Baruch forbid it. And therefore he took a sword, he put it in the middle of the bed. It says, if I pass this sword... The end of me. And after David Amelech took power, Paltiel ben Laish brought Michal back to David. Says, Here's your wife back. And he did it crying hysterically because he did love her, but he knew he was not allowed to be with her. The test of Yosef at Sadiq was also for Paltiel ben Laish. The test of morality that you or I or anybody out there deals with, let's just say they're not as big as the test of some of the tzaddikim. Now you're going to say, yeah, but we're not tzaddikim, we're just regular people, Rabbi. You're right, you're regular people. We're all regular people. So then we have to ask ourselves, what if we are not just regular people? We used to be prostitutes. Can we bring Kedusha? Because we see the Yeshua ben Nun and Oshea the Navi married prostitutes. Why would they marry prostitutes? The Gemara says, Rachav, although her past is her past, she was Tzedekah Kodesh Kodeshim, to the extent that she sanctified ourselves and seven prophets came from Rahav. All the prophets you know, Isaiah, Yechezkel, Jeremiah, they all came from Rahav. They're all descendants of Rahav. Hosea married a prostitute. Why? Says the Torah, the prophet Hosea. Says in the name of Hashem, chapter 1, verse number 2. Hashem said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of harlotry and beget children of harlotry. For the land is strained completely from following Hashem. So he went and he took Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Later on, she conceived and bore him a daughter and another son. 
each one was named in accordance to the will of God. Why did Hosea marry Gomer the prostitute? Why did Yoshua Benun marry Rachav the prostitute? Because it was the will of Akadosh Baruch Hu. Yeshua Benu knew the Rachav the Tshuva. And the Gemara says in Masechet Brachot, someone that does Tshuva can get to levels higher than someone that never sinned. She sanctified herself to such an extent that prophets became her descendants. Hosea married Gomer specifically instructed by Hashem, go marry this prostitute, bring kids to the world. Why? It's the will of Hashem. And guess what? This too will sanctify Kadosh Baruch name. Why? Because this will show Am Yisrael that just like I'm telling you to go marry this prostitute where you don't even know if the kids are yours. Because sometimes it looks like she went back to our former self with the second kid. We're not really sure. Maybe yes, maybe no. After all, that's where she was in the past. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because people think like that. Because people see like that. But yet when I ask you, Hosea, leave this prostitute who you're not even sure if the kids are yours. Of course, Hashem knows who's the kids. But you, a human being, you don't know if it's yours or not. After all, look at our past. Says Hosea to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I can't be like Moshe Rabbeinu that you told him to leave his wife. After all, I married her. I have kids with her. And I cannot see myself without her, Hashem. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, here you learn the lesson. When you, are said, when you are approached with the question, with the issue, that Am Yisrael is sinning, Am Yisrael is cheating on me. You said, ah, you know what Hashem, you're so great, you're so glorious, just start with a new nation. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, let me make you feel how I feel, if you will. Understand how I understand, if you will. Go marry a prostitute. After she brings kids, little kids you play with, little kids you invest into, little kids you raise. And then I tell you, you know what, you're not even sure it's your kids. After all, she was this, she was that. You don't want to leave her. My kids, I'm Israel. I know they're my kids. Why? I have a covenant with their forefathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, who protected their breed, who sanctified themselves to such an extent that all of their descendants that were in Egypt under slavery also did not violate the immorality. Therefore, I know they're my kids. And even though they did cheat on me, went to foreign gods, went to idolatry, went to immorality, you want me to leave them? Well, I want you to know, even if she was a prostitute, she could still bring holiness to the world. What does she need to do? She needs to change our ways, do complete tshuva, stop the sin, 
Never go back to it. Say I'm sorry. And elevate our behavior and our actions just like our forefathers to the best of our ability, to the best of his ability, starting today. And prophets can come out of them. Why? After all, you're all the sons and daughters of prophets. You're all the sons and daughters of HaKadosh Baruch himself. And therefore, there is no limit to how much holiness you can bring to the world. The only limitation is your behavior, your decisions. Once you decide that you're going to sanctify yourself, even a prophet, even a prophet would marry you, even if you were a prostitute. And that's why Rabutai Karim, if anyone says, oh, we're in a low generation trying to justify your sins, tell them you're in a low generation. I am the son of Akadosh Baruch Hu. I am the daughter of Akadosh Baruch Hu. And I can bring prophets to the world. How? I have to do tshuva. I have to change my ways. I have to sanctify myself. Don't tell me I'm a low generation. Because certainly, as bad as the things that I did, most people didn't do what the prostitutes did. Maybe they behaved like them at times, but usually not as bad. And guess what? Even if it was as bad, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will still welcome you, accept you with open arms, and allow the ultimate holiness to come from you. And that's why the Chachamim say, in a place that Ba'alei Tshuvah stand, even Tzadikim Gmurim, per people that were Tzadikim never sinned, cannot get to. Why? Because once you see the evil and how delicious it is, but you know it's poisonous, and therefore you choose Hashem where it's hard to change your ways. It's hard to change your mind. It's hard to not go when you want to go. It's hard to not touch when you want to touch. It's hard, but you do it because you want to connect to Hashem. Hashem says, now that you're with me, I'm with you. And now I'm going to show you how holiness can come from you. Each and every single one of you that makes those decisions will be surprised at how extraordinary HaKadosh Baruch Hu is when He blesses you with things that the world can see. Bezot Hashem. This too will be fulfilled in all of Am Yisrael's lives and be able to sanctify HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name not only through our behavior, our tshuva, our chesed, but even the things that come from us, the fruits that come from us, will be so holy that everyone will simply notice it. Ah, you must come from a good place. Thank you very much for learning with me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless each and every single one of you. And Bezat Hashem will learn again very soon. Call to Pachabatzdacha.
Nachamim of Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkenos asked him, what can we do to protect ourselves from Chavrei Mashiach? He says, Torah and Gminut Chasadim. Even if somebody does a, a nice thing or learns a lot or anything like that, it's never compared to bringing one of Hashem's lost kids that's been lost for the last 3,000 years back home. One of the beautiful things that we have in our organization is that we have both Torah and Zikri Rabin, because we have our kolels, we have our avrachim, and we also have our kiruv that we do around the world. Our lectures reach every corner of the world, Baruch Hashem, in multiple languages, but of course, we always want to do even more. while we have Kiruv work that we've done throughout the whole year, we also have the Torah that we're constantly producing more and more of, and last but not least, the uh, Chesed to feed the poor people in Israel. A very special thank you to all our amazing guests who show real about this land by taking the time out of their business schedule and sharing their ups and downs with us, all for the sake of our son. One of the big things that we have, aside from this campaign, you probably see this poster or something similar to it, is also we published some of the recent results that we have, or at least up to now, of the organization. And one of the reasons why we do this each year is because we want to make sure that our partners, our donors, our Talmidin, know where their money is going. Unlike everybody else that, you know, uh, says a lot, does a lot, we want to show you what these results are. I can tell you from my experience and a little bit of knowledge about the whole Torah world, I don't know of anybody else, uh, any other organization on planet Earth that produces dollar for dollar what we've produced over these last few years. This is nothing to be arrogant about. It's simply Siyat Bishmaya Kadoshbo who helped us. We made every sacrifice that we can possibly make in order to, to make it happen. Producing nearly 300 films, publishing 32 books, our own books, giving out 154,000 books for free. Giving out 154,000 books is not a cheap endeavor. Anyone that wants to do such a thing has to be completely committed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to his children, and most importantly, to have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Torah. We also have fed over 160,000 people over these last several years. Each year during Pesach, the high holidays, throughout the year, we help a lot of people eat, help make sure that they have groceries, food, all types of things. And uh, you guys have seen many of the videos that are uh, that we've produced over the years to actually show you the people that are getting this food. You have here 160,000 people have eaten, nearly 300 Torah films. And then on top of all of it, we have 1.4 million USB CDs and cars that have been giving out for free. All of the work that we've done over the last 10 years on these USBs given out for free. Last but not least, 12,000 video and audio lectures available online in about 14 different languages for the world to watch for free. <laughs>
ארגון בעזרת השם לקח על עצמו את אחת המטרות הקשות ביותר בדור שלנו לתקן עולם במלכות שדי לא להסתפק במשהו אחד לעזור רק לאנשים מסכנים רק לאנשים ניצולי שואה רק לאנשים שלא מכירים את אלוקים רק לאנשים שאין להם כלום בבית אלא לעזור לכלל ישראל בכל מכל ברוך השם, חפץ השם בידינו הצליח למעלה ממיליון יהודים ויהודיות נעזרו על ידי ארגונים בעזרת השם. רק תדמיינו לכם איזה עוצמה היה לכל אחד ואחת מהשותפים שזכו להיות כל אחד כפי כוחו ויכולתו, לאיזה תוצאות הצליחו להגיע ולאיזה תוצאות עוד יצליחו. פורים שמח על לראות את השלטים, נעלה עכשיו למעלה, כמו קצת האש, את הלימוד, ברוכים הבאים, אפשר לראות כאן. כולם יושבים לומדים, איזה רעש של תורה, איזה רעש, איזה רעש, והנה יש פה עוד בית מדרש. וגם פה יש, השם הכל עמוס. דמיון הזה הוא לא דמיון כל כך רחוק כי כמו שהתורה אומרת בפיך ובלבבך לעשותו ככה גם בדבר הזה כל מי שירצה, כל מי שרוצה או רוצה להיות שותפים איתנו, עם הארגון הקדוש והנפלא הזה, שכל כוונתו לשם שמיים, להגדיל תורה ולהאדירה, להרים קרן התורה, לעזור לכל אחד ואחד מעם ישראל בכל העניינים, כל המישורים, מהילד הכי קטן שצריך מטרנה וטיטולים עד האיש הכי 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 מבוגר שלעולם לא הניח תפילין, ורגע לפני המוות דואגים להניח לו תפילין. אם גם אתם רוצים להיות שותפים בכאלה דברים גדולים, בעשייה של תורה ועבודה וגמילות חסודים, ברוך השם, ארגון בעזרת השם, כאן, לצדכם, לשירותכם, יחד עם כלל ישראל. כמעט מיליון וחצי דיסקים, דיסקונקים, שחילקנו, כל הדברים האלה בחינם, יותר מ-12 אלף שיעורים, אז כל הדברים האלה, מתי שבן אדם רואה כמה ההשקעה שלו, אם זה בבתים, מניות, בכל מיני דברים, והוא רואה שהמניה עלתה 10% במקום אחד, ו-1,000% במקום שני, אז הוא מבין איפה להשקיע פעם הבאה. ואותו דבר פה, יש הרבה אנשים שברוך השם צופים את השיעורים שלנו, שיעורים של הרב אפרים, שיעורים של הרב שרביט, ושאר הרבנים בארגון, ועכשיו זה הזמן להיות שותפים בדבר הגדול שאנחנו עושים ברוך השם. an indication of what we can do in the future. So this is the time where we need as much of your help as possible to push yourself more than you typically do. If you typically donate a couple hundred dollars, donate a thousand. If you, uh, if you could afford uh, the uh, uh, $8,000, $15,000, $50,000, whatever you could afford, this is the time to do it because this is going to be the help that we have to help all of these Avachim, to feed these people and perhaps Bezal Hashem one day to get that building that we've been uh, wanting to, uh, to build here in, uh, in the United States to build a community. But the, all of these things require millions of dollars. If not now, then when?